Now, Isaiah chapter 30, um, we are going to be taking a look at the importance of isolation or solitude for Christian development and also for, for coming with the right mind and heart to Jesus, okay? And we find that here in, well, in many places in the Bible, but in Isaiah chapter 30. And as we begin reading together, you're going to see that this passage starts on a very dark note. Because what has happened, here's the historical context, is that there's a great nation called Assyria that is pressing down upon the people of Israel, the people of God, and threatening them with destruction. And they are in a life and death situation. They don't know what to do. It should be intuitive to them to turn to God and ask for help. But they're not doing that. They're seeking the help of another nation, namely Egypt. God is not happy, rightly so. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter uh, in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanus, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but just shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev. To a land of trouble and anguish, from where comes the lioness and the lion, the adder. Kids, the word adder is a poisonous snake. Where the adder and the flying fiery serpent, they carry their riches on backs of donkeys and their treasures on humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. In other words, they can't help them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. And now... Go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that, they, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people. Lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, don't see. And to the prophets, don't prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragrance not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth and to dip up water out of the cistern. Well, what are God's people to do in a situation like that of great divine rebuke? Here's the answer. Thus says, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. I want to focus just on uh, verse 15, and brothers of the AV, if you can just kind of keep that up there, because I'm want, because i going to break verse 15 apart, because it's a very important verse. It was for God's people, and it is for us. 
Um, I want to begin uh, briefly with this. Some time ago, if you were here, let's say maybe three or four weeks ago, I mentioned the name of a theologian and pastor and apologist. That means he's a defender of the Christian faith. His name was Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer uh, uh, began an outreach ministry at a Swiss chalet in Switzerland with his wife, Edith. And it was an outreach ministry at that time to many spiritually disenfranchised younger people uh, in the United States, but especially in Europe. And this was after World War II, where spiritually things were very, very dark in Europe, and, and a lot of younger people had a lot of questions. And he and Edith reached out at the Swiss chalet to the beatniks, we, those are the, the pre-hippies of the 50s, and then also to the hippies of the 60s and, and the 70s. And word would get around, and they would come from all over Europe and the United States in order to come to this Swiss chalet called Labrie, which simply means the shelter. Now, Francis Schaeffer grew up as an agnostic, and that means that he was, when he grew up and he was young, he was not sure if God really existed or not. He was unsettled in his mind. But by the grace of God, he became a Christian, and Schaefer attached himself to a very conservative church within a very conservative denomination. As time went on, he learned many things from that church and that denomination, but, but as time went on, by the time he got to about his late 30s, he realized something, and that is this, that you can have very conservative positions, and you can be part of a very conservative denomination, but that does not mean that it's necessarily alive. And he realized over time that he was experiencing a certain amount of spiritual emptiness. That the problem wasn't just with his denomination and his local church, but over time, their problem became his problem. And he realized that he was becoming spiritually dry to the point of he felt, even as a pastor, he was reverting back to agnosticism. And so he said to his wife, Edith, he says, I, I need to sort this out. And he says, I'm going to take two months off, call this sabbatical. Of course, it's never good for a pastor to be in the position of wondering if God exists or not. That's a serious thing. He says, I need to take some time off, so he did. And he said to his wife, Edith, I'm going to spend a lot of time just thinking and praying and reading. And this is either going to turn out poorly, and I'm going to have to get another job, or it's going to turn out well, and I'll be invigorated. And after two months, I'll be short with this, by the grace of God, things came to light. And praise God, he became invigorated. And the rest is history. Because some of the most notable Christian authors and teachers today were converted through the Libri ministry. Here's the thing. Let me ask you the question, where, where did this invigoration take place? How did he come back to life? How was he revived? The answer is not in a context like this, although corporate worship, as we call it, is very important. And it wasn't in a small group or a care group of a church where he's in the, he's in the company of, of other Christians, which is important as well. But for him, and maybe for you, revival, coming back to life, comes in solitude. Quiet, time of pondering. We're going to look at the importance of solitude this morning. 
As we look at this passage um, in, in, in Isaiah um, 30, as I noted, it starts on a rather dark note. Just to reaffirm here, um, the people of Israel, the people of God, are being threatened by an ascendant nation at this time called Assyria. It's a very serious matter. It was a life and death matter. And Assyria threatened Israel actually with destruction. People of God throughout history, if you read your Bibles, have faced that before. They're wondering, what do we do? What do we do? You know, everything's, they're, they're very frazzled. And you would think the intuitive thing again would be, well, God has always provided for us. He will provide again. We will place our faith in him. He has promised that he will help us. But rather than doing that, what they did is they attached themselves to a nation called Egypt. Now, if you know something about the Bible, you know something about Egypt and the significance of Egypt. But you know, if you don't know much about the Bible, you will have to discover that, that years earlier, God's people were enslaved in the land of Egypt for over 400 years. Here's the irony of the moment. Here they are. They're facing Assyria, life and death matter. And what do they do? They're going back to their former enslavers and say, would you help us? You have horses. You have chariots. Maybe you can help us. I'm like, and our response as God's people should be, really? Really? You're going to go back to your former enslavers? You think they're going to help you out? But not only that, if you, if, you, if you caught this through the reading, what God's people were also doing is they were they're gathering around themselves um, prophets, those who spoke the word of the Lord, and they were gathering certain kinds of prophets around them, prophets who, who would speak smooth things to them, basically, and say, you know what, don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about Assyria. Everything will work out okay, which was a lie. The point is, without going on and on, this right here, their hearts, they were hard. Man, were they hard. They were dark. And God was angry. God, God gave them so much time to turn back to him and place their trust in him, but they didn't want to do that. So God says, you know what? Assyria is going to come down, and you are going to be brought to destruction. That is, unless you have a change of heart. What does that change of heart for them look like? What does a change of heart for any of us look like? Whether you've been walking in faith for a long time but going through a struggle or whether you have never come to Christ, what, what does coming to life really look like? Now, take a look. Verse 15. For thus says the, Holy, or the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel... Here's the answer to your dilemma. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust, that's where you will find your strength. Are you spiritually empty? Are you living in rebellion? Is your heart empty or is your heart hard? We go through this. What is the answer? You know where the answer begins? It begins right where this text begins, in returning. In returning. The Hebrew word there is shuv. It simply means to turn or to return to the Lord. Um, you need to turn around. Another word to be used here is repent. You know what repent means? Repent means that you come clean with God. You come clean with yourself. Stop running away from God. Stop the hardness of heart. Just, just humble yourself and turn to God and confess your hardness or confess your struggles. But, but don't go to Egypt. Don't go to the world. Go to God. Go to the Lord. Turn to Him 
And when you do that, notice the wording of verse 15. What results? Rest. Rest, inner rest, but also you come to a point of no longer alienation from God, but rest with God. It was the great church father, St. Augustine, who said, Lord, we are naturally restless until we find rest in you. So repent. Repentance leads to rest. And then repentance and rest leads to what? It leads to life. It leads to deliverance. That's not so hard to understand, right? It's beautiful. But there's also a second section here. If you take a look at verse 15, it says, In quietness and trust, that will be your strength. Many times, repentance and a turning to the Lord doesn't happen amidst the distractions of life where our minds are filled with this and that, where our hearts are divided. No, 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 no. Like Schaefer and like many others that we find in the Bible, it begins on a moment of quietness. Quiet. Not like that. <laughs> I was a parent. Joy and I have had four kids. I remember when our daughter, I'm going to remember when our daughter was little and she was being a little pill in worship and Joy just took her right out and all I could hear from, from the little girl is she's going out and I recognize her voice. So daughter Arya, don't pank me. Don't pank me. Now he's just talking about distractions. I just distracted you. Okay, back to the text. Back to the text. In the midst of distractions, we don't come to a point of repentance. Oftentimes, we need to quiet ourselves. What does the Lord say? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. And when we come to grips with the quiet and when our minds and our hearts are clear, it's then when we learn how to trust not in others, but in God. And when quietness and trust are combined, it's there where we find our strength. It's there where we find our formation. It's there where we're drawn to the Lord and we flourish in the Lord. Listen, repentance, rest, deliverance, quietness, trust, strength, formation. Where often again do these things take place? Many times, not exclusively, but often they take place in the quiet times of our lives. We put everything aside. We put stresses, we put sounds, we put sights. We say, you know what? I need to get back to God and I'm going to, like Schaefer, I'm going to put it aside in order that I might focus on the things that are most important, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him and learning from him. Listen, um, this is not just wise advice. Don't we see this in the Bible? Let me give you a few examples. Most of us, I'm assuming this morning, remember Moses. And remember, at one point, Moses spent time alone with God, 40 days and 40 nights. Where did he go? To Mount Sinai. And in that alone time, God spoke to him. He was near to him, and it was on Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the very thing that we confessed this morning earlier, the Ten Commandments. Then there was the prophet Elijah who went into a small cave, and when he was in the small cave, he received the small whisper and instruction of God's voice. You think of the Apostle Paul, once a persecutor of the church, but he was, he was commandeered by Jesus on the road to Damascus. In a bright light, Jesus came to him. And the short story is, 
Paul was converted to the Christian faith. And do you remember what happened to Paul immediately after his conversion? You read about this in the book of the Bible called Galatians. He went three years to Arabia, where many commentators believe, where he spent time with the Lord who prepared him for ministry in the world on behalf of Christ and the Christian faith. And then finally this. There was Jesus. This is the interesting thing. Jesus even needed time to be alone. So in the midst of a very busy preaching schedule and teaching schedule and healing schedule, bearing witness to the power of the kingdom of God in the lives of people, the Bible says at one point that Jesus and his disciples were so busy that they didn't even have time to eat. Talk about distractions. And so the Bible says that upon occasion what Jesus would do is he would deliberately take time early in the morning to go to a desolate place in order to spend time with his father, in order to pray to his father. What does your alone time look like? That's what we're going to be talking about in our care groups this week. Think about this already. What does your alone time look like? Do you have the alone time? Do you ever seek times of solitude? We have all kinds of examples in the Bible. Our text encourages solitude to draw near to God. Because you know what? If you don't take the time of solitude, what happens is you, you slip into something. You slip into forms of cold religion that the Apostle Paul describes as a form of religion but without power. Without power. It's a religion of going through motions. It's a religion of maybe understanding basic concepts of the faith. But the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, are you alive? Are we alive? Jesus went into the wilderness early in his ministry. I don't know if you remember this, but the Bible says it is the Holy Spirit who drove him, drove him into the wilderness, and it was a time of testing for him. But it's also a time of solitude and prayer and fasting. And this was for 40 days and for 40 nights, like Moses on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says, I don't know if you remember this, but the Bible says that when Jesus left the wilderness, he left full of the Holy Spirit. There are times when we seek solitude that we become filled by the Spirit of God or with the Spirit of God in, in ways that... We weren't filled before. The importance of solitude. So I want to start drawing to a close. I want to ask you this. What do you think, what do you think solitude looks like? What do you do in solitude? You know? You know, a lot of times you think, well, I have my alone time with God, so I'm going to read my Bible and have a prayer, and certainly that's what it entails. Sometimes solitude is a time when we, we just get to think without the sights and sounds and stresses of life. Man, you go into a standard Starbucks, you know, and you just, I this incredible, I, I see, and it's just not, it's sometimes middle-aged people, especially those in their teens and their 20s, you can have a group of five, six younger people together, and it used to be, when I was growing up, you'd be chatting about this or that, whatever, now, Little chat, they're all doing this, right? Right? Distractions of life. Distractions. Oh, that phone. 
But there are other things, right? And sometimes we just have to say, uh-uh, no. And when I get up in the morning, no, I'm not going to my phone right away. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm I'm to just take some quiet time. And you don't have to beat yourself up with this. Maybe it's just 10 or 15 minutes. And say, I'm going I'm to spend some quiet time with God. I'm going to think about his goodness and his grace to me. Or if you find yourself in a, in a time where you're, you're grappling with, is even Christianity true or not? It's a time to search your heart. It's a time to pray to God. It's a time to, to, to open up the, the Bible and, and let the Lord take time to lead you where he wants you to go. And just sometimes, don't, you don't even have to read large swaths of the Bible. Maybe just take a few verses, like, the, like, like Isaiah 30, verse 15, and reflect on that. And how does that relate to me? How am I repenting? How am I resting? What do I need? How can I go to the Lord? Where can I find forgiveness? Bring it to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we live in a beautiful area. I hope you take advantage of it. Sometimes it's a quiet hike in the woods, looking at the grandeur of the mountains. I was looking at it this morning, or the beauty of the changing of the trees, and just, man, it's awesome. And I just think, we serve a great God. Sometimes it's like stepping outside of the door in the morning and seeing what my wife Joy saw yesterday morning where we were looking in a field in the, in the Sumas Valley and literally there were thousands, thousands of snow geese. They were gathering and they would get up and they would flow back and forth and as you would listen to them, we put this on video and you could hear them go, and then it would, there would be a refrain and then they would become quiet and then and it's like, how can you not look at that and say we serve a great God? Heavens are telling of the glory of God. Those are the things that feed our heart. Those are the things that solitude can produce in us. So do you feel distant from God? You feel sometimes separated from the embraces of Jesus and not even knowing really who he is. Then as the church fathers of years ago used to put it, they said, when you find yourself in those positions, go to the closet. Go to the closet. A man named Bernard Clairvaux put it like this. He said, oh, Christian, don't you know that Jesus is bashful and will not be familiar to you while you're in the company of others? Stop what you're doing and go into the closet or the open field, and it's there where you will find the embraces of Christ. So, I leave you with this. Today is the Lord's Day. It's a day for worship. It's a day for reflection. It's a day for interacting with each other. It's, it's, it's a day for drawing near unto God, and it's a day to receive the embraces of Jesus himself. Have you never known the embraces of Christ? Then seek him. Seek him. If you don't know what that really means, talk to me after the service. Seek him, and you will find him. And if you have always found Christ to be beautiful to you, or even if you are struggling at this time of your spiritual life, you're saying, I'm feeling dry, seek him. He will receive you, and keep seeking, and keep seeking, and he will keep receiving you. And if you seek him beginning in solitude and ending here, I tell you what, you will taste of heaven itself breaking down and what more blessed thing can there be than that the beauty and the importance of solitude let's pray
Heavenly Father, it's true. You have made us for yourself, O God. And we are restless, O God, until we find our rest in you. O God, as we've seen this morning, that rest, not always, but many times, comes to those quiet times when we speak to you and you speak back to us in your word and you revive us, O God, and you give us what we need. So, Lord, we draw near to you now and we pray, O God, on the basis of what has been said, that you will kindle in our hearts the desire at times for periodic solitude to draw near to you. Put that in our hearts. Fix that in our minds. Help us to think about that in the coming week. And Lord, for our care groups, help us to ponder these things more, more deeply, more broadly. And bless us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.